And the last two chapters, we've been going through the plagues of Egypt, how God called out war against not only the gods of Egypt, but these creations that these people had set before themselves as gods. But there's another thing that God called war upon, and that's something called pride. The pride of Pharaoh here, how he thought he was raised up as a king, that um, he was also raised up to believe that he would be a deity, either in that life or in the life that he was to come afterwards. And so he probably thought himself just too pious. I mean, who is this God that I should bow down to, that I should obey? Who is this? Which one of these gods? And one thing we need to remember is that the gods were all regional according to the countries that they were around. So who is this Yahweh? Who is this God? I don't know of any of the God of the Jews. We have plethoras here, a plethora of gods here in Egypt. Which one of these should I obey? Nope, not one of those on that list. I don't know who this God of Israel is. So he says, I'm a God. And so we saw how God declared war upon all these other gods of Egypt, but also the God of pride, the God of the self-centeredness here. But it's amazing here how we are going to be upon, I believe, the fifth plague, but that all that Pharaoh had witnessed, that God had placed upon Egypt, that he still wouldn't you know, accept who God was. Now, when we see through the scripture that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, or when God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, it was actually when God told um, Moses, I believe back in chapter 3, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to talk to him, but he's not going to let you go. Even with the stuff I will do, he's still going to reject you. And that basically came about from the pride. He says, I'm going to harden his heart. He wants to harden his heart, I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him harden his heart. If you remember in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 28, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hinder or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known of God is manifest in them, for God manifested it unto them. For the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen, being perceived or clearly seen, through the things that are made, even his everlasting power and divinity, that they may be without excuse. Because that, knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks, but became vain or futile in their reasonings or thinking. And that their senseless or foolish heart was darkened or hardened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God for the likeness of an image of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up. They rejected him, God gave them up. In the lusts of their hearts unto uncleanliness, that their bodies should be dishonored among themselves, for that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Verse 26 says, For this cause... God gave them up unto vile passions, for the women changed the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned or inflamed in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working unseemliness or committing which is uh, shameful, indecent acts, and receiving in themselves that recompense or the penalty of their error which was due. And verse 28 says, And even as they refused to have God in their knowledge, God gave them up. 
into a reprobate or depraved mind to do those things which are not fitting or ought not to be done. God gave evidence of who he is through nature and through, just, we can just see each other. So these people were without excuses. We are now. And yet, even with the signs and wonders that God had given Pharaoh, he still rejected them. So that is what it's talking about where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart rejected God in his own piousness, in his own pride. God says, all right, you want to stay in your pride? Fine, I'm going to let you have it. So Pharaoh hardens his heart while God gives him over to his own desires. Um, many times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, as we've just already mentioned that. But it's, you can almost see like a, a playing a games here, a mind game. How can anybody really play a mind game with God? God knows us, right? So here Pharaoh's saying, well, I promise I'll do this. Yes, I'll let your people go. But no, he tries to play these mind games against God. God says, nope. You're gonna hard, I'm going to harden your heart then. If you want to be submerged in this, then fine, you can have it. So we'll go here in verse 1, chapter 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Here's the identification. The Lord, God of the Hebrews. Here's the identity. It not, has nothing to do with Egypt, nothing to do with the region but it is my people that are called by me. Let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 2 says, For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, on the flocks. God says right here, If you do this, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this such as the Ten Commandments, where God says, Thou shalt, He also says, Thou shalt not. He says, I am God, there is no other. And as Jason can attest to this, that, you know, unfortunately, with Mormonism teaches that they believe that there are many gods. There's a pantheism of gods, but God says throughout Isaiah, I am one, the only God. There never was, there never is, there never shall be. I am the only one. You can have your myths and mythologies and uh, superstitions here. I am the only God. I am the God of the Hebrews here, the Lord God. You don't do this, I'm going to do this. He's calling his shots. I would hate to play God and pull. I would hate to shoot uh, pool against God. He'd call his shots and I'd lose every time. You know? <laughs> so he says, this is what's going to happen. Here's your fifth plague. We're going to send a pestilence, a plague upon your livestock. That's going to affect everything. Now, if you can consider what's going on here, he is affecting, God is going to affect Pharaoh's economy here. The economy of the Egyptians. Concerning all their livestock. Verse 4 says, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. He says, okay, they may mangle here. They may have a commonality in the feeding or the water that they share, but there's going to be a distinction. And I'm going to lay it right on the line that it's going to be yours that are going to be out in the field are going to die, and you're going to see that the Jews or the Israelites, there's, not, there's, um, there's nothing going to be done to their stock. Verse 5 says, The Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing on the land. So not only does he call the shots about what's going to happen and to what, but he sets a time here also. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. 
Now where it says that all the livestock had died, it doesn't mean that every single livestock that they, they, they had died. Is that whatever died was all of Egypt's. You know, there might have been some in the barn houses or wherever they might have kept them at in the stables, but whatever was out in the field that was still left out there, everything that died was of, of the Egyptians. Verse 7 says, Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So he, he heard the next day of what happened. All the Egyptian livestock had passed away or was killed. And he says, well, wait a minute, I've got to see if this, you know, if this is true what he said before. And so he had his, probably had some people go out and check to make sure that all of the Israeli uh, or the Jewish or the Hebraic or Hebrew livestock was still alive. And yes, it was true, which he resented even more. Now, if you consider all the things that there, all the other previous plagues that they have gone through, Moses was representative of God. He says, this is going to happen if you don't let the people go. It came to pass. God kept his word. So when all this happened, he, it still wasn't good enough for him. He had to send out people make, to confirm that, yes, this is what God had done, and as what he said this is what he's going to do. Isn't that awesome that when we consider the God that we worship, the God that we adore and love, that when he says, he says what he means and means what he says, amen, that if whatever will that he has in our lives, that we have that assurance. As Jason shared tonight, he trusted in God. As we've all had. We all have a story here to tell about our testimony, about our previous life. And if you consider your own life in what the Lord has done, there have been times, I'm sure you've been in the middle of a storm, you know, it doesn't look right, yet the Lord says, trust me. Do you trust me? No, no, no. Trust me. <laughs> it's kind of like a drowning man. You have a lifeguard come out. He's going to wait until they stop kicking and, and fluttering about before the lifeguard can go in. Let them tire themselves out. Then he'll save them. In the same way. We're the same way. Amen. I know I am. And I've discussed this with the men before that the boulders in my life, you know, the troubles and tribulations that my wife endure, that I encounter, actually we encounter, I've got no problems with them because I know God will take care of us. It's the little pebbles in my shoe that irritate me. Next plague we have here is called the plague of boils. And this basically came unannounced to Pharaoh. There was no warning here. Verse, verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot, from a kiln and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. Now I've read various commentaries and heard other teachings saying that there's a possibility that this furnace that, that was, uh, Moses was instructed to go out and grab a handful of ashes or a couple handfuls of ashes that it was used for the human sacrifices there in Egypt. And what it was is that the people would be thrown in these furnaces and after they were been cremated, they were got the ashes. These priests of Egypt, these magicians of Egypt, would get ashes and then spray it in the city, and this would be like a blessing upon these Egyptians. So can you imagine that cremated ashes upon you, saying, "Oh yes, come upon me. I want to be blessed." Now I've seen stranger things myself. Um, I've seen when I was studying on Hinduism. I was I was doing some teaching on that. I've seen videotape of this, and you, if you recall how the Hindus worship. They believe in reincarnation. They don't want to hurt any many, you know, many living things here. But I've actually, you know how they venerate the cow. 
or the bovine, right? You know, the bulls and cows, they think it's like sacred. I remember seeing this videotape of this cow walking through the streets, don't know which one it was, but still in India, and these people coming up behind it as the, as the beast was relieving itself and either drinking its urine or bathing in it as well as, as it was defecating in the streets. And these were the gods that they worshipped. And as we can see here that God is attacking the quote-unquote gods of Egypt. And you can see how the people become like the gods they worship. Are you like the god you worship? Do you represent Christ? Do you put on the mind of God? Or are you in the world putting on whatever the world would desire to clothe? Are you a true representative of the God you worship? And that's something to consider. And so you have these Egyptians, they get in these ashes and they these cremated bodies just spreading them in the air. But there's one thing here that I kind of um, prayed about. I don't know if it's of my own opinion. I, I pray that it's not. But what if... This furnace here was a furnace that was used to heat up and harden the bricks that were used to manufacture, that the slaves were put under. Wouldn't it be something interesting that if it was just the ashes from the furnace by these bricks, and we see what happens when Moses grabs these handfuls here, in verse 9 it says, It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So if you think, you know, these Egyptians, God's saying, you think you want to be blessed by ashes, I'll give you some blessings here. Actually, the blessed, their quote-unquote blessings become a curse. It almost seemed righteous, too, that if it was from the bricks that were used to harden in the furnaces, that the back-breaking work that these poor slaves did was put back upon the Egyptians. Verse 10 says, So they took suit from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. Here we have both man and beast being affected here. Now, from what I understand, that these sores were like just big open um, boils of pus. And these Egyptians suffered from head to toe. Can you imagine being covered? I remember as a teenager <laughs> going through my acne period. <laughs> I'm sure some of you might, and that was pretty sore, a pretty sore subject. Verse 11 says, The magicians could not stand before Moses. I bet you they couldn't sit either. For the boils were on the magicians as well as on the Egyptians. I'm sorry. The boils were on the magicians as well as the Egyptians. Verse 12 says, And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now here they're probably saying, Pharaoh, the magicians, Pharaoh, this is not the work of a man. We are dealing with a deity here, a true deity. Remember how when Moses and Aaron would be instruments of God and they would produce a plague and these guys would come along and try to emulate it or counterfeit it. They could counterfeit it, but they could make it go away. Here they're probably trying to do the same thing, but they're thinking, no way, no way. Previously, they had, <clears throat> excuse me, they had the lice and the flies. These magicians could not go before their gods and worship because they were defiled. And here it's the same thing here. They are defiled through boils now. Verse 13 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go <clears throat> that they may serve me. 
For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. And I personally can just say amen to that. If you didn't get the first time, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. It's like an obstinate, like trying to raise up an obstinate child. You tell a child, don't do that. What do they do? They immediately go to the whatever they're not supposed to do. You spank them. I told you not to do that. Well, they kind of tippy-toe over. Don't touch that. And they're looking at you like, I'm going to touch it. Well, you're going to get spanked. Well, I'm going to touch it. You're going to get spanked. I'm having withdrawals from my grandson. <laughs> Verse 15 says, For if by now I had put my... I put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. You would then have been cut off from the earth. Basically, God's saying, you know what? I could have any time taken you out. But I've got another purpose for you here, Pharaoh. The purpose is that I'm letting you live to witness all these things. Well, for what? To declare God's glory, His might. What I'm doing to you is going to be a record. And it's going to be told by mouth. And man, you can't believe all these things we've endured from the from the, um, the God of the Hebrews here. And if you recall in Joshua, in the book of Joshua, I believe it was the second chapter, when Joshua sent the two spies in, into Jericho. And they, I believe it was Rahab, the harlot's house. They went into there, and she said, I know who you guys are. Your reputation precedes you. We know what you've done to the Egyptians. And so there was a fear um, uh, against, the, uh, against the Hebrews there. Verse 16 says, But indeed, for this reason I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you, uh, you my power, and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. The question is here, I'm sure a lot of people say, well, how can a God of love allow someone or create someone for his purposes just so that they can, he can treat them bad? We need to remember we all have free will. As we've all had an altar call in our lives and our hearts at one time or another, God says, here is the gift of salvation. Will you receive it? And it's up to you to say yay or nay. It's safe to assume we've all humbly and readily and speedily accepted that gift. Amen? So we all have that free will. Pharaoh had the option. He dealt many times with God. God dealt many times with him. You going to do what I say? Well, no. He was against God's will here. Now, people can say, well, how can a God of love also create someone here to punish him? <clears throat> well, if you can recall also that um, during the Babylonian captivity, God used King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to punish the Israelites, remember? So here in this case, why not? Why not? He, he free will, with free will, rejected God. God says, all right, I'm going to keep you alive until this, though, just so that you can proclaim my greatness and my glory. Verse 17 says, Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. You think you're a deity here. You think you're greater than you think you are. He's almost like a precursor of King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, you're lifting yourself up in pride. You're exalting yourself. <clears throat> Verse 18 says, The plague of hail. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as not has been not has." been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. The Egyptians were taught early on that creation and the earth centered around their civilization, around Egypt. So there, he's, you know, God sending a message that um, 
or the universe was actually created around Egypt. Ever since the creation of Egypt, you never have seen anything like this. While it was also a rarity, I believe, in Egypt uh, that hail that, did, you know, that didn't occur. But God's given them a, a, um, a warning here. And he says, about this time tomorrow, you're going to get this hail. Not only is it going to be hail, but it's going to be so bad that Egypt has never seen something like this before. Verse 19 says, Now therefore send, bring your livestock, and whatever you have in the field to safety. Isn't that God's grace? He's given them a warning. He's giving them a heads up. Whatever you have on the field, whether it be slaves, workers, or even your livestock, bring them in. Because I'm going to take care of the land outside here. It says, Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, when the hail comes down on them, will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now through the examples, through all these things, these situations that, you know, some of the Egyptians have said, you know, they had a clue. Oh my gosh, we're getting a warning here and this God here is... You know, he says what he means and means what he says. So I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and bring my stuff in. But you also have the other obstinate ones, those defiant ones who left. No, we don't trust this guy. No matter what he says, no matter what this God says, we don't think he'll do it. And they left their, uh, their property out. Speculation can be, too, that those Egyptians who feared God and did what he said and, ple- and heeded his warning, they're probably the ones also who left with the, Isra- uh, with the Hebrews when they left Egypt. Verse 22 says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that hail may fall on the land of Egypt, on man and on beast, and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So here he's using Moses to start this plague here. We see here how the plague starts. Moses is lifting his hands. He says, stretch out your hand towards the sky. Basically, call down this plague here. And everything that is outside is going to get nailed. Vegetation, um, livestock, as well as servants here. And it says out throughout Egypt. God is already calling his shots here throughout Egypt. Throughout Egypt. In the world. Whatever Pharaoh owns, it's going to be out there. Verse 23 says, Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. From what I understand, um, the rainfall in Egypt is like 0.2 inches a year. It doesn't rain that much. You can see why. It's pretty arid. It's dry, desolate. So rain isn't a rarity there. But when you mix that in with hail and thunder, and it, it, it rained so much, or it, perhaps it hailed so much, it looked like rain. And if you recall some of the stories this year, during the earlier storms when it hailed, golf ball-sized hails, hailstones, can do a lot of damage. In the end times, we're told that God will send out his, <clears throat> his hail upon those who have the mark of the beast. And they're going to be 100-pound hails. Imagine what kind of damage that's going to do. So the thing is, too, here that's interesting is that it said that fire ran down along with the hail. I've read commentaries and listened to people again saying, well, they're trying to justify or trying to clarify exactly what kind of natural occurrence occurred here. 
To me, well, the Bible says that Lord sent it down. God sent it down. Not only was it hail, but it was also fire mixed in there with it. Verse 24 says, So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So if you can consider you know, the, the, the pounding of the hail coming down upon your houses on the outside, and the, the, you can hear the fire coming down along with it, along with the thunders, it sounds like it's pretty scary. Verse 25 says, The hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Not only did it go after the livestock, but of servants, but anything else that they could have um, harvested, everything was destroyed out there. Verse 26 says, Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. I, don't, I couldn't find anything on how the location or the proximity of Goshen was to where Pharaoh was. Let's just say it was uh, perhaps half a day's walk. It could have been like from here to Norco, somewhere in Norco. We're living that close, and if you look in the distance, you can see this fury of a storm kick in. And you can see and you can hear from a distance, my gosh, how are we protected here? The hail is not coming upon us. Neither is the thunder. Neither is the fire. When we go to vacation in Florida, unfortunately, the only time we can go is in the summertime, uh, when it's nice and hot and humid. Well, it's also the same time of year to where they have electrical thunderstorms. In the distance, it's quite an awesome thing to behold. You see these huge lightning bolts. What we have out here, no. The, the, these are baby lightning bolts. Out there, these things are thick. You could see them in the distance, and you can even time how far they are when you count, you know, by number after the storm strikes, or after the thunder strikes. So from a distance, it's very awesome. However, when it's on top of you, that's another story. It's so loud and so rattling that the, that the buildings can shake. And I'll tell you, if you're not used to it, you will run for cover. Same thing here with these Egyptians. It doesn't hail there. Sure, it rains, but not as much. But even with the hail coming down, it's a, quite an awesome thing to behold. Verse 27 says, Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron. I'd like to know how he's done that. God was told, bring everything into the field, right? How did, <laughs> how did Pharaoh send for Moses and Aaron without these messengers getting killed? Or let alone how Moses and Aaron showed up without them getting nailed. And he said to them, I have sinned this time. Well, what about the other times? <clears throat> the Lord is the righteous one. Amen to that. And I and my people are the wicked ones. Well, I can probably say for sure he got half of that right. He is the wicked one. But you talk about lack of accountability. It's like he hiding, he's hiding behind his people. Well, I'm not the only wicked one here. Uh, so are my people. <laughs> it's almost a reflection of what your leader is like. Thank you, Bill Clinton. Verse 28 says, Make supplication to the Lord, or please pray for me, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. He's had enough of this thunder crashing over him. And one thing that I thought was interesting was that thunder is sometimes associated with the voice of God. And you could almost consider, Pharaoh, you don't want to listen to my messengers, Aaron and Moses. I'll tell you what, you want to listen to me? 
Can you imagine hearing the voice of God just thundering over your brain, over your ears, and just ear-shattering, literally? He, he just had enough. He goes, can you please pray for me? We're wicked, I repent, wham, wham, wham. And so, verse 29 says, Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. It's almost reminiscent of when Moses asked Pharaoh, When do you want me to get rid of the frogs? What did Pharaoh say? He says, Tomorrow. Rather than right now, whatever's logical. So Pharaoh asked Moses, can you please pray for me? He says, yeah, as soon as I'm out of the city, give you time to hear, keep listening to this stuff. And that you know that the earth is the Lord's. It is not yours, Pharaoh. It's not these false gods that you call upon. It is not these gods that are supposed to protect your fields, your livestock, your economy, your diseases, your sickness, your healings. It's none of these gods that can protect you. The world belongs to the Lord. He's the one who created it. That is the true God. He is the one true God you should be going after or looking for. Verse 30 says, But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. He says, I know you're just playing lip service here. And you know what? What kind of game is that? I'm sure we, most of us or some of us have done this once in a while. Lord, help me. If you, if you help me out, I'll do this. You come out of the situation, oh, it's okay, I got it. I know I've done that. I've done that plenty of times myself, but it's, it's all a word game here. Verse 31 says, Now the flax and the barley were ruined, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. Flax was used uh, there in Egypt for uh, manufacturing clothing. And the barley was used to feed the animals as well as the, that's what the poor people ate. Basically saying that these two things were ripe and they were ruined by the hail. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined for they ripened late. Uh, everything else that was made for consumption there wasn't ruined yet. It was still in the ground or still in the processing stages, but that still hasn't been touched yet. Verse 33 says, So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and hail ceased, and rain no longer poured on the earth. Moses went out of the city and spread out his hands. As a member of the worship team, I am envious that I'm not, I'm not be, to, be able out, to be out here with you folks during our worship time because I know I would love to lift my hands in worship. But my hands are busy up here. But what an awesome thing that we can come before our God at any time. We don't need a man to go before us. We can come to God himself through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. At any time and just lift our hands and just cry out, Abba, Father. It's reminiscent of me when, um, uh, when I was holding my grandson. You know, he'd, he'd be like this, eh, with his hands up in the air. I said, you want me to hold you, hold you? And now he says, hold you, hold you, when every time he wants me to hold him. And that's how we should be with our Lord, our God. You know, lift up our hands in worship and adoration. Lord, hold me. Verse 34 says, But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart. He and his servants. It wasn't just Pharaoh here, but it was also his servants, his yes-men that were around him. They probably wanted to tell him stuff that he just wanted to hear versus the other magicians that said, this is the finger of God when God coughed up lice from the earth, from the dust of the ground. 
they basically told him, this is not an ordinary um, superstition or dealing or magic trick that we're dealing with here. This is an actual God. Pharaoh wouldn't listen to them, as we were told during the boils. He would not listen to these men. But these other men that stayed around, you know, him and his servants, they purposely hardened their hearts against God. Verse 35 says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Now we have a total of ten plagues here, but in the end times, we have similarities here. The first plague, we saw the Nile turn to blood, and in the second and third trumpets, we see a third of the sea become blood and water poisoned. In the second and third bowls that are released, the sea and waters turn to blood. You can almost see that this, all that happened here in the book of Exodus is a precursor of what we see in the future. You can also consider that the Old Testament that we have here is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What you don't understand here in the Old, flip on over the New. And you can see these things occurring. In the second plague, we saw the frogs come out of the river. We see in the sixth trumpet, demons out of the river. In the sixth bowl, the Euphrates River dried up and three unclean spirits like frogs come out. In the third and fourth plague, we have lice and flies. You can almost say that's probably a germ warfare. In the fifth plague, we saw the livestock diseased. In the sixth plague, we saw boils. In the first and fourth bowls coming, we see loads and sores and men scorched or burned by the sun. In the seventh plague, we saw hail mixed with fire, economy, man, livestock, and vegetation all taken out. The first trumpet, vegetation is struck. In the eighth plague, we have locusts. That's still we, that's in the next chapter. But the fifth trumpet, we see locusts released from a furnace, from a fiery furnace. The ninth plague was darkness. We still need to see that. The fourth trumpet brought about darkness. The fifth bowl brought darkness and pain. The tenth plague, death of the firstborn. The seventh trumpet, we see the kingdom proclaimed. In the seventh bowl, we see the earth shaken before our Lord comes back to judgment here. So what do we have to learn from this? I know I want to cling closer to God, closer to the Lord. How can I apply this? See what we saw in the past and pray that we don't repeat this in the future. Amen? Lord, we want to thank you, Father, so much for your word. That is by your grace, Lord, that um, you have given us this word. And we want to thank you, Father, for calling us each out by name. And Lord, may we be drawn closer to you with each passing day, with each passing heartbeat, with each passing breath that we take. And Father, may we not look back, Father, with what we miss, but we, may we take every and any opportunity, Lord, to not only share the gospel in Jesus Christ, but also live according to your word. Father, we pray for our pastor that you would bless him on his trip. And we also pray, Lord, that you would um, bless him and give him a safe trip on the way home. And we ask, Father, that you would go before him and anoint him as you would take whatever time he can to study for this coming Sunday's message, Lord. And we want to thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.